text is found in the Gospel of Luke tonight, as we've had in our scripture reading, Luke chapter 2. In verse 8, we notice there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. In the end of our text there in verse 20, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. What unlikely people for the announcement of the birth of Jesus to come, these men who were unexpecting it, and uh, these lowly shepherds, a part of the, the Christmas story, sometimes an overlooked part of it, and yet the Holy Spirit records it to us, not to Herod's uh, banquet hall, not to Caesar's palace, did the angel announce, but to these lowly shepherds doing their job, watching their sheep in the night watches, so many interesting things here for us. Let's ask the Lord again to bless us. Now, Lord, this is your word. May we never treat it as just some story, although this is the record so carefully given to us of your coming to earth. We thank you for these lowly shepherds and their message to us, their testimony to us, and as being a part of the, this, the Christmas story. Now, Lord, meet with us as your people. Bless us, we pray. We so long to hear from you and to feed upon your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The familiarity of a portion of Scripture may cause us to overlook rich treasure and blessing. That's always a part of uh, we have to be careful of as we study the Word of God. And as you grow in grace, and as you know the Lord for a long time, and have heard these portions of Scripture over and over again, be very careful that you do not treat them as, uh, as just some other a story or something of less importance, but always ask the Lord to give you a blessing and insight to every portion of Scripture that you read. We're tempted to hurry over it without the scrutiny that we would always and should always have when we study the Word of God. As believers, we should know better, shouldn't we? But we're, we're come to the, these blessed and familiar Christmas portions of the Bible, and we may be inclined to treat it almost as a fable or some well-worn children's story, which nothing could be further from the truth. This is the holy and infallible record that God has given to us of the birth of his son. I want to call your attention to a group of people who are always well-represented in Christmas plays uh, and dramas and those uh, kind of events, the humble shepherds. It is interesting to note that when God the Father decided to announce the birth of his son, his only begotten son. Uh, he did not go to the holy city of Jerusalem to do it. He did not get a Wall Street agency to help him stage this, did he? Because had he done that, had he gone to Hollywood or to Wall Street or some other, Madison Avenue, I guess is what I'm thinking of, they would have staged it in a much, much different way. In fact, if he'd gone to any uh, church today and had a committee of church people to advise him on how to, to announce this, I'm sure it would have been a much different uh, situation than what it is. But God does all things perfectly and according to his perfect will, and he does all things well. One would think that the temple grounds, though, wouldn't you? I mean, if you were just thinking in a biblical way that uh, he would have come to the temple complex and have been just the place for such an announcement. Uh, but that's not where he sent Gabriel uh, or the other angels to announce the, the birth of the Savior. If not to the temple, why not uh, at Jerusalem? Why not the high priest's residence? I mean, he should have been in, well informed about the coming of the Savior. Or, as I've mentioned, Herod's palace. 
all of which would have been a prime locations to gather attention and notoriety for the coming of the Savior into the world. Why not Rome, the capital city of the, the ruling empire, and where Caesar and the Senate resided? Wouldn't that have been a, a place, I mean, to, to come to the really center of government and uh, to, to, that God would let the news know that God had come to earth? The Romans and the Greeks all had all kinds of stories about their gods coming to earth in miraculous ways. And so why didn't God just set the record straight there in the pantheon there at Rome or some other place and settle the question once and for all? But God does not do things the way we would uh, stage them. His thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. Uh, We uh, see that throughout the record. But that's not where the angelic hosts went. Verse 8 in Luke chapter 2 tells us that God the Father sent his messengers, his press agents, if you will, his heavenly press agents, to some shepherds abiding in a field near, Jeru- near Bethlehem, watching the, their sheep that night. Notice that it is at night. John Gill, the, the famous commentator, notes, it appears that Christ was born at night, and the Jews say, and he was well-versed, Dr. Gill read all the rabbinical writings. He, he was self-taught in Hebrew, and he could speak it as his own language, I am told. He was an absolute genius, if you will. And he, in his writings of the Jewish writings, he says, they say that the future redemption shall be in the night. In the old ancient writings, something to think about. And, and Jerome says it is a, is a tradition of the Jews that Christ will come in the middle of the night, as the, was the Passover in Egypt. Well, we can only speculate about these things, but certainly no one would be expecting him to come in the middle of the night. When he came the first time, at, no doubt at night, there, there were four watches in the night, even, midnight, cock crowing, and morning. And the shepherds, when they'd have a large group of their sheep together, would each take one of those watches while some would go into a cave or or a sheltered area to sleep. And the other group would watch and they would take turns uh, taking a shift, as we would say, or or watch in the night. Well, some, I've heard Spurgeon say that he did not know when Jesus was born, but he was almost certain it wasn't December the 25th. He gives all kinds of, of reasons for that. But one of the reasons we think that it may have been, and Gill mentions that it was probably in late October because the shepherds, the, the, the rains would begin then and they would not have been, they stayed out at all, all seasons, but not in the rainy season. The raining season would begin. And so that, that they were still out uh, in the pastures outside of Bethlehem seemed to indicate it would have probably been in early October. Well, we do not know for sure, but we do know this. The, the shepherd's work was hard work. It was a dangerous job. They, for one thing, as we've noted, were exposed to the elements, extreme heat or bitter cold. Their food was basically what could be found growing, uh, fruits and nuts, the husk of the carob tree, locust and wild honey. These were the things they would eat. Wild and hungry beasts were always at bay seeking game to eat, and so the shepherds had to watch carefully. They had to ward off the ravening wolves and those things that would come near. The sheep had to be defended. They're absolutely defenseless animals, must be watched over, must be kept. 
And so they had to be defended. And that's why these shepherds were awake at night, keeping the night watch. Robbers and predators of the human sort were also a great danger, lurking about to get money or resources from whomever they could to steal from the, the flock. A shepherd had a mantle or a cloak made of uh, sheepskin turned inside out. It was water repellent, and it was an absolute necessity, almost like a, a small tent, if you will. Uh, that's not quite the best way to describe it. This cloak that they would wrap themselves in this, this, it was, that was impervious to water and to keep him warm in, in the cold. He had a script or a wallet, a pouch-like, a small saddlebag to his side, that kind of, kind of a thing with a small supply of food in it, just some handfuls of some things that he'd gathered. He had a sling uh, to ward off the wolves and the other predators, uh, and a staff, which had the dual purpose of being a weapon and also a, a crook to help guide and rescue the wandering sheep. That, that crook was to, to get to the sheep where he could not reach him or to get the sheep around the neck to bring them back where they need to be. Aren't you glad our Lord uses all these things to keep us in line? And he's such a, a wonderful shepherd. The shepherd's daily schedule was along this line. In the morning, he would bring his flock out from the fold. John 10, verse 4, describes it. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. He calleth his own sheep by name. Now, these shepherds were joined together, but they knew their own sheep. And even though the, the sheep were together, they knew their shepherd, and the shepherd knew his sheep. It's always amazing to me. The Scripture says he calleth his own sheep, the ones that were his by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. I can just hear him calling and talking, and the sheep following along after him. And a stranger they will not follow. If anything, sheep are stubborn and uh, they will follow only their shepherd, uh, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Well, he calls them by name. They would recognize his voice. He would lead them to the pasture that he'd already chosen for them, where he knew his best, and watching them often with the assistance of his dogs and those that would help him. If, if any sheep went astray, which is quite a possibility, sheep are not the smartest of animals. They often or stubbornly go their own way. It's no wonder that the Holy Spirit and the Lord uses this analogy to describe us. Do you see yourself in, in the, this description here? And he would search diligently until he found it. What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. Well, what a picture the, the Bible paints for us. And we love that doctrine, the perseverance of the saints, that not one will be lost, not one of his sheep will be lost, but he will present us all faultless before the Father's throne in glory one day. The shepherds supplied them with water, either a stream 
or a trough attached to wells. If it was a stream, he would have to dam it up so that it would be uh, still. They will not, sheep will not drink running water. They're so skittish and so afraid that they would not, that water had to be absolutely still. And our great shepherd leads us beside the still waters, doesn't it? He knows what we need. He knows our nature. He knows our fears. He knows how to feed us. He knows exactly what we need. At evening, he brought them back to the fold, and he counted them. Our Lord keeps good records, doesn't he? He sees and knows everything. Do you think one of us could get by with sinning? Do you think one of us could pull the wool over his eyes? Do you think one of us could get out of the way or not be seen? The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Thou God seeth me, and he counts to see where we are. He counted them to see if any were missing. And by passing them under the rod, he, thy rod and thy staff, the rod was a, a short, uh, the staff was the, with the crook on it was one, but the rod was a little club-like uh, instrument that he used. He used it in various ways. I'm told that, that he often used it like the sling. He, the shepherd was so adept he could throw that, that uh, rod and, and ward off a ravening wolf or some dangerous animal. But he would pass them all under the rod as they would enter the door to the fold, and he checked each one of them individually as they passed under the motion of his hands. He could see if there was something unusual in their, in their wool. He watched over them as they would pass under the rod to see, and it, may have, they would, go, it would move the, the wool in such a way that he could see if there was any burrs or thorns or anything that had got into their, their wool or any a parasite or a wound or anything that he needed to inspect. Do you know the Lord? He knows our down-sitting and uprising and our thoughts from afar. He sees and knows all there is to know about us. Aren't you glad he's acquainted with all of our ways? The shepherd's job required great carefulness and tenderness toward the feeble and the young and those that were with young. The Egyptians hated shepherds. They esteemed them to be the lowest of the low. In fact, when uh, the, uh, Jacob's uh, family and Joseph's family came to Egypt, they had to be uh, sequestered in a certain section. You remember, they lived in Goshen so that they would not intermingle with the uh, Egyptian society. And they hated sheep, for one thing. For some reason, the Egyptians hated sheep, and they valued them not for food or for sacrifice. Is it not noteworthy that the lowly shepherds were the first to hear the announcement of the Savior's birth? Now, make whatever you will of it. That's the biblical record. These were the first people the Lord came to. They were not noblemen. Paul reminds us, as I've mentioned this morning in the Scripture, not many wise, not men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the reason is that no flesh should glory in his presence. So let's not glory. We have nothing to glory except in the glory of our Savior and his provision for us. And then Luke chapter 11, verse 29, the Lord said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly, where? In heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. And so we might ask the question as we consider this portion of Scripture, why did the shepherds hear about his birth first? I've given you great information about them. 
unremarkable as far as their job and their their but in, in another sense some of those unremarkable jobs are on the other hand quite remarkable that they would devote themselves to do it and they this was a life this calling was day and night it wasn't just something where you go work from nine to five and this was a is people who have animals know it's a it is a daily uh thing my father had cows and uh my father-in-law, my, my father-in-law, my, my my mother's father lived with us, and uh, my my father, though he was raised on the farm and he he had a, a regular job as he farmed on the side, uh, he <clears throat> my grandfather always worried about my father not being careful with the the cows. And had several uh, heads of cows. I've shared with you that when my mother was nine months pregnant with me, she was milking. And the cow, or um, trying to brand the calf, something with a calf, I believe, and the calf ran, and she grabbed hold of the calf's tail for some reason. I don't know why we do such things. And the calf dragged her around the pasture. My, my brother's sisters vow that's what's wrong with me today, that, that, that whole incident. They laugh about it. But my grandfather, O'Neill, would stand at the door and said, you know, Daddy had not come home where he said, the cows need to be brought in, they need to be brought in. He's out of, he would worry over it. And uh, we had a lady that worked there at, at our, the home and helped my mother. And he said, she said, you always worry about everything but except what's your business. That's none of your business, that those cows are none of your business. Well, it's a full-time job, and somebody has to see after them. You know, the cows, when you have a farm and you have animals, they don't take a vacation. You know, they keep right on, and uh, it's, it's something that is all-consuming. But why did the, the, the message first come to these, these shepherds? Could it be that it's because he would call himself a shepherd? All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear uh, them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. But he that is an hireling and not a shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep. And fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again in the part of our Lord's laying down his life started with him coming to earth. He could not lay down his life for us if he did not first come and take on a body. And that's why the Holy Spirit gives so much attention to this part of our Lord's ministry. No man taketh my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. Isn't that amazing? And I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Well, the shepherds were <clears throat> watching over their flocks, the record tells us. And probably it was a, a calm, peaceful night. Uh, no doubt they were weary. They were, their eyelids were heavy. And all of a sudden, I've always thought about this, as they were at this calm and peaceful setting out in the, the pasture land, outside of the, the, the city, the, the, the little town of, of Bethlehem doing the regular mundane thing that they did all the time. 
You know, some people lowly esteem daily work. But we see that throughout the Bible, people who were approached as they were doing what they were supposed to do. Was not Moses tending sheep? Was not David busy doing, tending his father's sheep when he was told he was going to be king? Amazing, miraculous things have happened when people just doing their job. And he, here these shepherds, I believe the last thing on their mind was to have the, the host of heaven come visit them that night. The Bible tells us suddenly, the glory of the Lord shone round about them. This glory of the Lord, Moses saw and others saw, this glowing light, this bright light out in the middle of the night, the middle of the night watch, shone round about them. And the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, for lack of a better word, seems to be the Lord's press secretary. He comes and announces, he announced to Mary. And here he comes again. Uh, the Lord, there are myriads of angels, but this is Gabriel's job, and he does it. And he comes to, not only to Mary, but he comes to this uh, uh, group of shepherds. We don't know how many there were. The angel of the Lord came upon them. So the picture of him is a, a, a descending from heaven. The glory of the Lord there and the, the angel Gabriel descending. What a sight. Can you imagine the, the, the fear and the, the quaking of the, the shepherds as this bright light in the middle of the night? The angels coming, the Shekinah glory of the Old Testament uh, uh, presence of the Lord. It's no wonder they were afraid. Who wouldn't be afraid? We'd fall and run. We'd no doubt we would uh, pass out or run if we were to see such a thing. A shining great angel in the very glory of God in their midst. What a remarkable event. No wonder they were sore afraid as the Bible records for us. The angel saw their fear. And said, don't be afraid. You know, the angels, when they appear to people, often have to say that. Their presence is so mighty and so powerful, so unusual. They have to say, don't be afraid, because you certainly would be afraid uh, when they come. His soothing voice, the miraculous power to calm them, is amazing to me. And there we see in verse 10, behold, I bring you good news, good tidings. We need good news, don't we? I often, people say, Pastor, I have some good news. I always say, please tell it to me. I need to hear, I love to hear good news. Why is it that it's so rare? Well, the angel said, I'm bringing you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. The birth of Jesus Christ should bring great joy. After hundreds of years of anticipation, prophecies, hundreds of prophecies being fulfilled, the Savior has come. He did not come as an angel, but he took up the seed of Adam, the seed of Abraham, the, the seed of mankind. The most amazing thing in all the world is that God became man. Think about it. The Creator is linked with the creature in a vital way that was necessary to redeem us. The great I Am, the one without beginning or end, has made himself finite to some degree by taking on a body. The great uh, invisible and omnipotent condescended to those he had made. Angels rejoice over us when we repent. We see this in the record that we just read about. And they are ministering spirits to the saved. We don't fully understand their ministry. And we should not go any further than what the scripture goes. There's some, uh, the Gnostics worshipped angels and many cults 
The angels have a place of worship. Well, the angels would have none of that. If an angel came here tonight and we, we were scared and fell on our faces, they'd say, get up, I'm an angel. I deserve no worship from you. They would abhor such a thing. They who shield their faces in the presence of the, the triune Godhead would have no glory ascribed to their name. And may I tell you, as God, the Lord's humble servants, we should skew anything like that when people praise us. Please deflect the praise and direct it to the one it belongs to, our great Savior. Well, they are remarkable beings. And we do not fully understand all that they do. They're messengers. They're sent ones. They um, appear at notable times at the giving of the law, at uh, other times that they've appeared and had much to do about the Lord's coming to earth and when he ascended into heaven. Remember, the angels came and said, well, don't stay here in heaven. He's coming again. In the same way that he came, he'll come again. In like manner as you've seen him leave. And so we're, we appreciate the ministry of the angels. The Bible says they are ever at the Lord's work. They peer into the church when we worship. They marvel at our what we do. They learn from the church. Uh, they do not fully comprehend grace and salvation. Uh, they are messengers and they are, are sinless ones in the fact that they've not sinned. Those, of course, that did sin and were expelled with Lucifer have become demons. But the angels in heaven, and there are myriads of them, thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. That language of the scripture means that although there are certainly a finite number of them, there's so many of them, it seems as if they're infinite. They fill the heavens with their praises, and they have work to do. They uh, minister to us. In fact, there's an obscure verse, or uh, I say obscure, it's not obscure, but it doesn't give us, it's an unusual verse in Hebrews that says that, that uh, many of you have entertained angels and you didn't realize it, he told them. Now, all I know is that's what that verse says. But when angels appear, most of the time, obviously, we do not recognize them as such. Uh, th- there were times when they appeared, and that's exactly that. Th- th- those they appeared to say, "This is an angel." But the writer of the Hebrews seems to think that, or seems to hint to us that they are uh, coming to Earth for various reasons, and we don't even know it. Well, the, the Bible tells us that they're ministering to us, and of course, they escort us home to glory when He calls us home. What a wonderful thing. One day the veil of the unseen will be pulled back and we'll see these things that we only have a we'll look through a glass darkly just now. And it's so I feel so futile even in trying to describe it to you. Preaching, aren't you glad one day preaching we won't need it anymore because our faith will be sight and what we're trying to describe will be obvious to us all. We sang it, Charles Wesley, probably one of the most beautiful of the carols, and of hymns of all time. Hark, the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth, mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. The gospel all the way through this carol. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Christ, by highest heaven adored. Christ, the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. 
Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all He brings. Risen with healing in His wings. Mild He lays His glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Come, desire of nations, come. Fix in us thy humble home. Rise the woman's conquering seed. Bruise in us the serpent's head. Now display thy saving power. Ruin nature, now restore. Now in mystic union join. Thine to ours and ours to thine. That last verse is not in many of the American hymn books, but is in the British uh, uh, hymn books. And it's a, a glorious verse. I wish we wouldn't leave off all those important verses, but that's a, a different story for a different time. Well, he took on the form of man to sympathize with us. He knows our frame, our infirmities. And we would never fully comprehend God unless Jesus Christ came to earth. How could we comprehend one who has no form, who is eternal and infant and invisible? And yet Jesus came and said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We know what God is like because we've seen the Son, the Son and the Father. He is the express image of his Father. In verse 11 here, we see that he was born a Savior. Christ the Lord, the Messiah, the anointed prophet, priest, and king. This threefold power never rested on either any other man. No other man in all the scripture has held the office of prophet and priest and king. But all of these reside upon our Lord. He fulfills all these offices. He is veiled off from those who would not believe on him wrapped in meager swaddling clothes. Notice the sign there in verse 12. If you were going to give a sign, you would give something else, wouldn't you? Maybe some glowing uh, uh, being or presence over the manger. We don't know exactly how the shepherd, the Bible says, go and, and go and find it. This shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. That was what the angels told them to look for as they went into Bethlehem. Well, I'm sure that there were other babies born during this time. I don't know. But I'm sure that there weren't any other in a, in a feeding trough, wrapped in swaddling clothes in a feeding trough. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude. Not, first of all, the press agent comes, Gabriel, and then he's joined by a multitude of angels praising God and saying, notice again, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but the Bible, that, to my knowledge, never records angels as singing. We always ascribe that to them. But when you see that, it's always saying. Now, I'm not saying they didn't sing. We usually think of praising automatically as being singing. I kind of think, and this is, I don't want to, you shouldn't go where the scriptures don't go. But I just point out, when you study it, it's always they said, they say, which to me, uh, intimates that our worship is word-based, not just apparitions and those words. That's why the gospel is to be preached and it's to be told and explained and taught. My um, humble opinion is that only we sing. The angels praise Him. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But God gifted us with songs. And we, the redeemed, will lift our voices. 
I think we might have to teach the angels how to sing. Now, I know I'm going where I shouldn't go, but we do sing, don't we? We're told to sing. We're said that everything that hath breath, praise the Lord and sing. But I just notice here the heavenly host join Gabriel, praising God and saying, "Glory to God in the highest, peace and on earth peace, goodwill toward men." Well, He came down to us. He came down to our level as one of us. Have you ever gotten down on a child's level? It's been so long since you were down that far, you might forget. It wouldn't hurt some of you who can. (laughs) I don't recommend this to all of you, but some of you might need to get down on your knees and look at life from that perspective, or even lower than that, and see how things look from their perspective, uh, and how we take for granted that, you know, things are quite different from there. Our Lord had to come down to where we are. So far was that great gulf fixed between the holiness and perfections of glory down to this sin-cursed earth. Why would he want to go here? Would you want to go down a rat hole? Would you want to go down to the sewers of New York City or under the, the, the city here and to those kinds of places? Why would you want to do that? Some of you shudder for me to even say that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go op, lift up a sewer lid and manhole and go down to the sewer. I want you to know when Jesus Christ came down from the perfections of glory, of that beautiful and glorious place of heaven, down here with his war and strife and cursing and hatred and all kinds of debauchery, he came down, down, down to our level is one of us and must be seen through the eyes of believing faith. He brings peace. He brings peace to a heart that's warring with yourself and your sin. He will bring peace to your life, peace of heart. He binds up the brokenhearted, the Bible tells us. Well, these men who were on their watch with their sheep saw a remarkable sight, were given an amazing job to do to go and find the Savior and to uh, give validation. And the Bible tells us they go and they came to the place. In verse 16, they came with haste. When we are given a job to do by the Lord, we ought to do it to our utmost ability. We ought to do it quickly and with haste. Do you think Gabriel said in a minute when God the Father said, go down to that group of shepherds right there, I don't know when it was, but I can tell you when he came. The Bible says, in the fullness of time, Mary brought forth her firstborn son. And when God the Father said, hasten down, fly down right there to that little spot outside of Bethlehem and let it be known that my son has come to earth. Aren't you glad that we serve a God of detail and who condescends to us and who loves us and sees and notices us here this night, this Body of believers gathered here in his name on this Lord's Day evening. They came with haste. May we serve the Lord. And with whatever our hand finds to do, may we do it with all of our might. And may we quickly obey him. May we be quick to offer our bodies and our, our abilities to him. They came with haste. And you know what they found? They found what they were looking for. You know, in the scripture tells us, if you seek me, you'll find me. Some have never found him. I've heard people say, I just don't see it, Pastor. I just don't see what you're talking about here. Could it be that you're not seeking? 
asking the Lord, seeking in His Word, ransacking the Scriptures to see if these things are so. When they'd seen it, they found Mary and Joseph. Oh, I'll tell you tonight, are, are you seeking Him? If you, if you seek Him, you'll find Him. If you'll come to Him by faith. They found Mary and Joseph and the babe. Guess what? Lying where? In a manger, just like He said He'd be found. And when they'd seen it, they made known abroad. They went all throughout Bethlehem the saying which was told them concerning this child. Now, once you've been entrusted with miraculous heavenly news, you're duty-bound to spread it abroad. You see, these shepherds, humble as they were, did what they were told to do. They did it quickly, and they did it thoroughly, and they went throughout all of Bethlehem telling the story. Oh, some people say, I wish I'd been with those shepherds that night or been in that manger and seen the baby and like it was some Hallmark Christmas card. But I'll tell you, you've been given the same job the shepherds have been given. Go find him. Make haste to seek him. And then make known abroad the saying which was told you concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things. Your, people's response to what you tell them is not your business. Your business is to tell. They wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Don't you know that Mary was surprised by a group of shepherds? I don't know how many they were, but these shepherds coming into the what little privacy she had. And here they come. Uh, and they said that we've been, we've been sent by the Lord. The angel Gabriel, that's all they needed to say because she'd talked to Gabriel, hadn't she? He'd, she'd come to her. April, Gabriel had come to talk to her. And uh, she knew. She pondered these things. You see, Mary is in a, a point of worship and awe. And sometimes all you can do is rehearse and ponder and meditate upon the things of the Lord. And the shepherds returned. Returned where? Back to their sheep. They had work to do. Uh, they weren't... Uh, released from the daily round of life. Oh, like the disciples, sometimes you want to make a tent or tabernacle and just camp out right here. But tonight after the last amen, we're to go out and to tell and to live out this gospel that's been given to us. The shepherds return the whole while glorifying and praising God. You can return back to work and glorify God at the same time. You know that? You can give glory to God and and do your job as unto the Lord, praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Well, what a wonderful, wonderful part of the Christmas story. Now, our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We love with the mind's eye to see these events as they unfolded. Lord, may we not just see them in that entertaining kind of way, but speak to our hearts. May we make haste to serve you. Lord, they kept on until they completed the job you gave them to do. May we, like the Apostle Paul, say, I have fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. May all of us stay everlastingly at it until you call us home. And Lord, even you said that I've done the will of my Father which sent me. May we all be just compelled to do as much. Now bless us, we pray. Help us to tell the story. In Jesus' name.